I'm so excited to be in Blair, Nebraska. I come all the way from South Carolina. I'm originally from Indiana. And uh, just to tell you a little bit of story about the fact that I have fundamental facts that I am very loud. Who, who, who is a naturally loud person in here? Anybody naturally loud? I see some kids. That's awesome. I am so fired up to be uh, loud because it was essential to my survival when I was young. Uh, just to help you understand, I am the youngest of six children, six of them. In fact, there was this time when my mother and father, they had four boys. They really wanted a daughter. And so they tried one more time when the youngest was six years old to have the daughter that they really wanted. And on March 31st, 1974, about 46 years ago, uh, my mother went into labor. Now, what's the next day after March 31st? April Fool's Day. This is relevant to this story. And so my mother uh, shows up at about 1030 at night, right before April Fool's Day, She's in labor. The nurse is listening to the womb with a stethoscope, got this really puzzled, worried look, raced out, got the doctor and said, there's something wrong with the baby's heartbeat. And uh, the doctor came in to listen and he got a big smile and said, there's nothing wrong with the baby's heartbeats. There's two of them. Yes. And my mother said what I think any mother would say at that moment. She said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I'm going to have one baby and it better be a girl or I'm sending them back. And, uh, uh, and she said, it's not April Fool's Day yet, and that is a bad April Fool's Day joke. And uh, the doctor just smiled and said, I don't know if it's boy or girl, but there's two, get ready. And so about a half hour later, about an hour before April Fool's Day, my identical twin brother was born. And seven minutes later, I was born. Yes. And my mother did not cheer. Um, she cried. I have witnesses. And she said, the Lord has spoken. If we try for a daughter again, we're going to have triplet boys. We're through with this. We're out. And so that's why I'm loud. It was essential to my very survival. My ability to eat was tied to my ability to have a voice. And so uh, that's one reason why I'm loud. I'm also loud because God has done some miracles in my life. And when God has done some crazy good stuff in your life, you can't be quiet about it. And so that's what I'm going to be sharing about today. I'm so excited to be here uh, in Blair, Nebraska. Uh, I'm the youngest of these six. My dad is originally from Iowa, kind of northwestern Spirit Lake, Iowa area. He was on a journey, his first vacation ever. He's 20 years old. He's going to Florida. And he stopped in Indianapolis, Indiana to visit his aunt and his uncle. And they went to church that night and he met Sandra Lee Sr. And uh, he didn't make it to Florida. And so he decided he would hang out with Sandra Lee Sr. And six months later and driving back and forth from Iowa to Indiana, they got married and that was 61 years ago. And uh, so he's all fired up. He's 82 now. And uh, he got a job at Kroger. He is fired up. He's working at Kroger. And uh, it's really hilarious. Uh, he does not need to do that, but he loves it. And he is in the apparel section and it cracks me up. And he's fired up too. Uh, so anyhow, that's kind of what uh, my upbringing was. Grew up in the middle of a cornfield in a very small high school. Maybe this sounds familiar. In our whole senior class, there's 55 students. 55 of us, the Southwestern Spartans, the mighty, mighty Spartans saying S-P-A-R-T-A-N-S, Spartan, Spartan, Spartans. That's what it was. Get fired up. And uh, so we graduate, and uh, on our big senior day, we would drive our tractors to, to school. It was awesome. And all the rich kids drove their John Deere's, and I drove the case that would basically kill you because it had two speeds. It had the speed that barely moved, and the other one that went at breakneck speed down the road, and it was awesome. And so I grew up there, and it was awesome at this high school. I end up uh, being the first to go to college out of our family. Me and my twin brother were, and it was a great journey. 
Now, one of the teachers at our school, her name was Miss Ruby Nay, Miss Nay, my English teacher. Anybody remember your English teacher in school? Anybody? Okay, so honor your English teacher's name. Just say it out loud. What was her name? There we go. See, you remember your teacher's name, don't you? It had a huge impact on your life. Miss Ruby Nay was awesome. She was so old that she knew Moses personally when he was a teenager, very old. She was awesome. She was awesome. But every now and then, Miss Nay got a mean streak in her and would give us writing assignments, which is very mean. And then she would tell us some either more dreadful news. She would say, it's got to be two pages and it's got to be single spaced and don't write in big, and it's got to be handwritten. And then don't write in big bubble letters. I know what your normal handwriting is. Write it in your normal, because we have tricks, right, students do? We write in big, giant bubble letters to fill up that page. I know none of you would ever do that, but I might have. And so she would say, do that. And then she would say, be careful not to write in the, the margins. What is the margins on paper? What is it, really? It's a border. It provides space between the edge and the actual writing, isn't it? And so that's what I want to talk about today is financial margin. Just like margin on a paper is space, financial margin allows you to have space. In fact, I looked up the dictionary of the word margin, dictionary.com, and this is the definition of margin. It's a noun. Isn't that exciting? It's a noun. And it's an amount allowed or available beyond what is actually necessary. So if we think about financial margin, it's an amount of money that's beyond what is actually needed or necessary. And how many like the sounds of that, like that type of margin? Isn't it great? Margin is really important because margin, financial margin, allows you to sleep better, doesn't it? It allows you to rest easier. It allows you to think about the future And we'll go through some more details of the positive aspects of margin. But I will tell you that it is very clear, especially in this nation of America, that this lack of margin is having a profound impact on people's lives. In fact, we see in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, and if you do not have a Bible today, you can raise your hands. We'd be very happy to give you one. So just raise your hands. We're going to turn to John, chapter 10. I'm going to be kind of all over the book today. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this. It says, the thief's purpose is to do what? Steal and kill and destroy. None of those three sound good to me. And and it says, but my purpose, Jesus' words, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Yes, Christ came that we might be redeemed and have eternal salvation. But he also came that we might have a rich and satisfying life this side of eternity. And margin is a very important part of that. And I've come today to point you to Jesus so that you can have life eternal, but also so that you can have a rich and full and satisfying life even now. And margin is that thing that's hugely important. In fact, a statistic in 2019 December, before pandemic, before crazy stuff happening in this nation, that they released a statistic from the Federal Reserve that when faced with an average expense of an expense of $400, some unexpected expense of $400, nearly half of Americans could not pay cash for it. That was 
prior to the pandemic. That was prior to 40 million people heading to unemployment. Think about that. It has become a pandemic, a pandemic of spending everything that we have and then spending even more. And I have lived that in my own life. In fact, as a poll today, has anyone in the house ever been broke before? I'm not saying are you broke right now, but have you ever been broke before? Right? Okay, that's good. We got some friends in here. I got some friends. Right? And I've been broke. And you know, one thing I know is if you raise your hand saying, yeah, I've been broke and you're smiling, then you're saying past tense. But if you're saying I is broke, maybe not smiling as much. And I've been there. And let me tell you my financial story. Youngest of six, no extra money. My dad said he should write a book called, I lived from crisis to crisis, my life raising six boys, right? It's just crazy. One unexpected expense after another. My oldest brother threw a hammer in the air and watched it come down and hit him in his own face. I mean, it's just awesome, right? And we had numerous other issues like that. So it was awesome. It wasn't me. And so it was constantly, so no money. We never talked about money. Anytime my parents talked about money, it was not in positive type things. We kind of disappeared to the back 40. And then I really started my money journey when I decided to go to college. And so I joined the Big Ten, went to Purdue University. Go Boilers, Boiler Up, Hammer Down, and we will lose every football game this year. Um, and, and so I went there and studied mechanical engineering. My twin brother went to the arch rival Indiana University. He studied nursing, now he's a doctor. And so I go to engineering school and I started dating Sally May. Anybody know her or her first cousins, Federal Direct Loan, Nelnet, Great Lake Servicing? Anybody know any student loan companies? So I signed the line. My twin joined the Army, so they'd pay for it. But I, uh, I went and just financed it with my friend Sally. She dates a lot of people. And so I have this student loan debt, and it's amazing. I signed this line, and they let me stay at Purdue, and they feed me. It's amazing. And my first week in there, they said they'd give me free stuff if I fill out some credit card applications. So I filled out all of them. It's very fast process. What's your name? Joseph Sangle. What is your income? Zero dollars per year or month or week. You choose. And what's your job? Uh, student? Question mark. And, and that took me like 25 seconds. And for my wages, they gave me free stuff. I remember it like it was yesterday. I got a free two liter of Coca-Cola. Yes. Which is better than Pepsi. I like them both, but it's better than Pepsi. And, and then I got a free T-shirt from AT&T that advertised their long-distance service. Like, the millennials are totally confused right now. But, and I'm, I know that I'm now officially old, but there are people my age and older who have wounds in their soul from talking too long on long distance, right? And your parents got after you. Get off the phone, it's long distance. Who has that wound? Okay. Okay, younger people, think about data and burning up too much data, okay? And then I also got a duffel bag from American Express that advertised, you know, American Express card. I still use it for hunting to this day. And so here's what I know. I filled out those applications. I was truthful and honest, zero dollars, no income, no job. But a week later, guess what showed up in my mailbox? A credit card. And the next day, guess what I did with it? Yeah, I went out and started swiping. And I should have applied that wisdom from that kid's show that says, Swiper, no swiping. Come on, Vamanos, everybody, let's go. Um, but I didn't have that show to help me, so I started swiping away. And after four years, I graduated, and this is proof God works miracles. I graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering. Yeah. Now, my GPA, 
I was a 2.64. And that was brought up by the fact that I got an A in indoor flower arranging. No joke. I didn't get a single A in any engineering class. Some people graduated magna cum laude or summa cum laude. I graduated, thank the laude, and got out of there. And so I graduated, and I had this student loan debt, these credit card debt, and so I had been driving a terrible vehicle. I'm talking terrible, T-R-B-L, terrible. A 1981 Datsun B210. Google it, it will bless you to see it. Does anybody remember these early Japanese imports? So this car, it ran forever on a thimble full of gas, but the body sort of disintegrated around it, especially in areas where you spray salt to get rid of the snow. This car was so bad that the driver's side floorboard was gone. Like, I mean, the passenger side. Like, my passenger would fall out. It, but I had a custom-cut piece of plywood in there. It was awesome. One day, I was crossing a rough railroad track crossing. Do you know, like, the rough one? And the entire dash collapsed in my lap. So I took some clothesline and tied it up. Awesome. And then one day, the driver's side door stopped latching. And so since YouTube wasn't out yet to show me how to fix it, and my engineering was a 2.64 GPA, I kind of slammed it shut, rolled down the window, tied it shut with more clothesline, and literally went in and out of the car like the Dukes of Hazard through the window. Okay, the worst moment came that one night I'm driving to my parents' house, little middle of the cornfield, pitch black night, no moonlight, nothing, just stars. And I'm driving down the road, and there's one of these humps in the road where a 2.64 GPA engineer didn't bury the culvert. Instead, they just plopped it there and made a hump in the road. And I hit it, and my lights went out. This is a problem. But it got worse. Immediately after they went out, a fireball, the entire width of the hood, came out, roared over the windshield, went out, and then my lights came back on. And I literally went, and then I kept driving. <laughs> this is what you do when you're broke, isn't it? You ignore obvious problems. You're like, that did not happen. That did, what happened? No joke. The second time that happened, the spirit of discernment finally fell on me that there might be something wrong. And so I lifted the hood, quickly discovered that the battery holders were gone. They just rusted away. And when I was hitting bumps, the battery is bouncing up arcing out and igniting a leak in my fuel line. Get fired up was a literal thing in my life. So guess how the broke person fixed the leak in the fuel line? Duct tape, baby. Yes, I did. I sold it with duct tape on the fuel line. So, so I told the person I sold it to for 250 bucks. And so do you agree with me? I needed a different car. Please say yes. Okay. But I wanted a new car. My wanter wanted a new car. So I went and financed a new car. I even financed a sales tax, 105% financing for a new car. Let me speed through the rest of my story. I my, had my college sweetheart, Jennifer Lynn Nijakowski, a Chicago Polish Southsider. She said yes when I asked her to marry me. So we financed the wedding rings, the engagement rings, the wedding and the honeymoon to Jamaica all on the credit card. And then we came home and we had a chance to move to South Carolina with a job transfer and by some miracle, we bought a house, financed almost all of it, and then we needed furniture. Based on my track record, do you think we paid cash for that furniture? 24 months, same as cash, we had some furniture. And no one right now is saying, I, this guy is a financial genius. Instead, you're saying, Lord, help him. 
And here's what I found. I had no margin in my life, none. And I felt like the problem was not me, but it was that God needed to bless me with more. You ever been there? And I had no margin, no space for life to happen. Life did happen, and it just drove us further in the hole. And a day came where we said, this cannot be, this should not be, and we need margin. And what I'm going to share today is what God has done in my life as a testimony. And I'm going to share with you what I learned from God's word that helped me establish margin so I could stay focused on the mission that he has for me. And he has a mission for you. And margin is an incredibly important part of that. You know, Jesus shared in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, he says this. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And he shares this universal truth that wherever your treasure is, your desires of your what? heart will be also. They, they, you cannot disconnect the fact that wherever your money flows, your heart flows with it. It just happens that way. And so when you have margin, it's not there just so you can swim in money like Scrooge McDuck. It's there because it protects you so that you can stay focused on the mission God has for you. So that you can be generous at all times. You know, margin allows you to do many things. And the mission of Reach Church is to reach further in your faith and reach farther in your community. Margin helps you do that. Margin allows you to be instantly and extravagantly generous. It allows you to have less stress, doesn't it? It allows you to sleep better, doesn't it? Many people are very exhausted. Anybody exhausted? I'm serious, like, I had a nightmare last night. I was a muffler on a car. I woke up exhausted. It's a dad joke. I snuck it in there. I had one guy say, Joe, uh, I didn't know there was any other option. I've been tired since I was eight. And I think some people kind of understand that feeling. Trust me, when you have margin, it removes some of that pressure, an enormous amount of it. And listen, when you don't have margin, you have to focus on yourself instead of, being selfless. And it has uh, this thing where it causes you to focus on your problems more than other people's problems where you can serve them. And you could be on the edge of facing financial collapse. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 12, the, the author Solomon writes about how margin helps you. He says, wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves those who have it. Isn't that interesting? He's observing that money does help shelter you. But if you had to choose between the two, wisdom is better because it preserves you. But what I found is when you couple them together, wisdom demands that you carry margin. Yes, even financial margin. I encourage you to look at these two different words that we're going to put on the screen. They're just one letter different. They both start with an O and a W, but then one ends with an E and one ends with an N. I want you to think about those two words, though. Don't they have dramatically different feelings when you think about them? What about the feelings of, oh, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Have you heard that? And then own. Aren't they different? 
You know, we know, anyone who's committed their life to Christ understands that spiritually God owns it all, right? He owns it all. On earth, however, our name might be listed as the owner. And isn't it different than when we are the ower versus the owner? Totally different. Margin allows you to be a preserved owner. And it's incredibly important. In John 10, we started out with verse 10 that said the thief's purpose is still kill and destroy. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Jesus continues on with the story. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand, well, they'll run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. And what this is really about is an ownership principle and saying, when you own it and you recognize I'm responsible, then it makes you a much greater caretaker of what the Lord has entrusted in your hands. Because you recognize the ownership principle as a Christ follower is I own this, yes, as the earthly owner, but it's really all God's who really owns it. I'm the manager. Think about it, business owners. Um, if you had this business and you have a manager running the business day to day and you walked in and said, manager, do you have a plan for what's the plan for this next year so that we can yield profit? What if they looked at you and said, I don't really have a plan. I'm just going to wing it. How's that sound for you? What would you say to that manager? You're fired. And what I, I would say today is many of us have been fired because what the Lord has placed in our hands, we don't have a plan and we've just ran through it. And we turn to the owner and say, give us more. That's challenging, isn't it? That's exactly where I was at. And so I embarked upon a journey to have margin. And here's some of the things I've learned that help me build margin. If you have margin, I hope this will help you preserve it. And if you don't have margin, I pray that this will help you build margin so you can stay focused on your mission. The first thing is to decide to decide. To decide to decide. Let's say that together, will you? Let's go. Decide to decide. Let me explain this in practical terms. Um, these are these moments where there's, there's sometimes you're committed to some stuff and other times it's a good idea and you say you're committed, but you don't really ever commit. Have you ever been there? Let me give you a practical example. This one day, I decided that I wanted to start running. I wanted to start running. However, the next day came and I just wasn't feeling it. You ever been there? You ever been there? So I didn't run. Well, the next day, I didn't feel it either. So I didn't run that day either. In fact, I started thinking about running and said, you know, my neighbor who's my age in my class, he runs all the time and something must be wrong with him because there's no bear behind him, right? He's just running to run. It's 98 degrees. Here comes Jeremy. There goes Jeremy. What's wrong with Jeremy, Right? In the middle of the summer, he's running. In the middle of the winter, there he go, there goes Jeremy. Jeremy, he's Forrest Gump, I guess. He's just running. And, and, you know, never mind. He was the state champion cross-country runner three years in a row, went to the Army Rangers, All-American, all four years in college, Army Ranger. Unbelievable, right? But I just thought he was running. And then I got this moment where I graduated from Purdue. I get this job, and for the first time in my life, 
Some started showing up around here. Never had happened before. And all of a sudden, I decided to decide I'm going to run. So I showed up and I started running. In fact, I showed up at a race, <laughs> a road race. You know the race where they give you numbers? I didn't know you had to pay to register. I was so novice, I had no idea. I just showed up and I started running. Now, I've learned later there's a name for this. They call this bandit racing, where you don't pay to race because you didn't support the thing they're raising money for or whatever. So I'm out there running with everybody. Everybody else has a number. It's confusing to me that they have numbers and I don't have a number. But I'm running and it's a three-mile race. I have never ran more than a mile in my life. But I'm committed to run. I've decided to decide I'm running and I'm like, ah, I'm going to die. And I'm running. All of a sudden I see the finish line and I'm coming up the finish line and they're, they're wanting to tear off your numbers to keep track of who, what place you are. And they're like, where's your number? Where's your number? I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, get out of here. Right? So I felt really bad about that. And so subsequently I've ran the race like 20 times and I've paid for it every time, just so you know. But that day I decided to decide. And I started running. And I started running, I run, and I run, and I run a lot, and I have the Run Keeper app, and I've ran two 26.2-mile marathons. I'm never running another one, ever, right? Even if a barrier is running, I'm just like, just eat me, right, for real. But I do run three, five, six miles. I ran at Tranquility Park yesterday on the mountain bike trails, and the day before I ran at Zarensky Park, and it was awesome because one day I decided to decide. The same thing happened with my finances one day. And I learned this from Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8. It says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. God has wired them to do what? To build margin, to store up when? When times are good. Why? Because the bad times are coming. And haven't you learned that we can't predict when the bad financial times are coming. What is it? I think Ronald Reagan said once that it's a recession when your neighbor loses their job, but when you lose your job, it's an outright depression. And if you don't have margin, you're instantly in the ditch. You have to decide to decide. The second thing I learned is you have to plan every dollar. It helps you establish margin. You have to plan every dollar. Now spenders, where are my spenders today? identify yourself okay naturally okay that's awesome like you can make it happen at shields like you can it's awesome right where are my savers my savers see the savers are not nearly as proud of being a saver as the spender is of being a spender and i'm a natural born spender i mean i can i listen i have shiny stuff syndrome and i can make some money disappear rapidly it's unbelievable it's a it's a spiritual gift i'm sure of it a negative one but anyhow i i learned one day that you got to plan every dollar you have to be, it's God's, we have to plan it. And Proverbs 21, 5, uh, it says this, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. What's that word? Say it. Prosperity. As, but hasty shortcuts lead to what? Say it. Poverty. Which would you rather have, prosperity or poverty? Well, we would all choose prosperity. And it says good planning. Do you see it? That's called budgeting. Now, my, my name is Joe and I am a spender and I don't like budgeting. I just don't like it. Like I'm naturally wired to not like it. Um, in fact, every time I heard it, I heard the word no. Like I saw it in neon lights. No, 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 no. And then I would burst into poetry because I am a poet. My feet show it. They're Longfellows. Get it? It's, 
It's from Miss Nay. Anyhow, uh, but I would say, the budget makes me say no. That interrupts my flow, so it's got to go. And my wife didn't laugh either. But here's what I know. I realized on this day when I had my I have had enough moment that we need to plan every dollar. And then I realized it could be an Excel spreadsheet. Yes. Woo, get fired up. And some of you are like, nerd. Yes, I am. But I put together this budget and we planned every dollar. And then we did something crazier. We followed it. And when you do that and you put God first, saving second, investing third, and plan the rest. And when you consistently do that, suddenly you will have margin in your life. And we, the third thing that we saw is that we had to address debt. If you want to establish margin, you need to decide to decide. You've got to plan every dollar and you have to address debt. In Romans 13, 8, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill the requirements of God's law. What I realized as we prepared this budget is I had Sally Mae in there several times. I had vehicle, car debt. I had truck debt. I had I owe mom and dad debt. That's real bad. I had credit card debt. And I realized every dollar that went out to debt was a dollar I could not use for generosity. I could not use for saving. I could not use for dreams. And it compelled me to say, there has to be a better way. And so we started saying, no more debt. And this is what I realized. Saying no to that was not forever. It was just for now. And we started putting God first. We started saving, investing, and paying off debt. And we started attacking debt. And I remember I had to do some amazing things. I had to call my credit card company. I went and I chopped up my credit card. And I called Capital One. And I said, I'd like to shut off the account. It's one thing to cut up the card. It's another to shut off the account. And I remember calling them. I'll never forget this. I decided to decide December 2nd, 2002, where I just said, I've had enough. I have had enough. Woo! Just like when Mama Sangle had enough. Do you think the Sangle boys got like ducks in a row when Mama Sangle had enough? 100%. Because if we didn't, she'd whip out her primary weapon, which was a fly swatter with a metal wire in it. And she would swing indiscriminately as she moved towards the perpetrator. And if you got caught in the crossfire, she was unapologetic. I'm catching up for something I didn't see you. Right? Things, it was awesome. But anyhow, I took the flights water to my debt. And Capital One said, now, Mr. Sangle, you've been a great customer. I said, I bet I have. And they said, now, if you shut off this card, this will affect your credit score. Ooh. And I said, well, having it affects my bank account. I care about that more. Shut it off. That was an extraordinary step of faith because all of a sudden the lifeline for financial emergencies was gone and it forced us to be a better planner. And I will tell you what I thought was cutting off my lifeline for a financial emergency was cutting off the shackles of bondage. And let me tell you what God did. Over the next 14 months, we paid off all of the debt except for our house, all of it. In fact, four years later, we were able to fire ourselves from corporate America and negotiate a 50% pay cut, get fired up, to go to work for a church we helped start. And then, even with all of the craziness, my wife was still able to be a stay-at-home mother, and we were able to, 10 years and one month after we started our journey, to pay off our house at age 38. Let me tell you something. I'm glad one day I decided to decide. 
and that we chose to plan so that we could have margin because what I will tell you unequivocally, that there are steps that God has in front of you. Yes, you. A clear dream that he cannot reveal till we turn over this area of our life and trust him with it. Let me be real clear. I'm speaking specifically to the person in this room who has a dream that is so big you've never told another human being. You're fearful of its cost. You're fearful of what others might say about it. But God can fund it. But you have to take a step of faith to start building a bridge, a margin, so that you can get out of the day-to-day selfish focus so you can have the selfless focus And then when God works the miracle, he can trust you with what he places in your hands. I've seen it happen. In fact, the fourth thing I saw to establish margin is I had to prioritize the Lord. I had to put God first. And that's tough when you don't have margin. You know what I'm saying? You hear the minister say, God's word says to put God first and to give 10% off the top, the first fruits. The word first fruits is mentioned in the Bible 32 times in the NIV. Did you know that? 30 times in the King James Version, thou shalt find it. And 33 times in the ESV edition. That was a church joke. <laughs> Guess how many times the word last fruits or no fruits is mentioned in the Bible? None. God wants to be first and you realize it's not just about the money. It's about the fact that your heart transfers with it and God is interested in your heart. And he wants your heart connected to his kingdom work. And I read in this great prophecy in the book of Haggai, it's middle of the Old Testament. The prophet Haggai had this prophecy directly from the Lord that I think is as relevant to our lives today as it was way back then. He says in verse nine, uh, five, he says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army say. Look at what's happening to you. Look at these five scenarios. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, you can't get warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Can I get a witness? And then he says this, this is what the Lord of heaven's army say. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I'll take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. The Lord did this. Why? Because of my house, which lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. What the Lord is not saying, he's not saying fine houses is wrong. He's just saying you haven't put me first. And he says, if you don't put me first, all this other stuff, I don't care how hard you work or whatever, I can blow it away. Isn't that amazing? So for the first time in our life, we committed to tithing and putting God first. Every single budget, we put God first. We wrote the check. I don't know if you've ever angry tithed, but I might have once or twice. You know what I'm talking about? I guess I will test you. I'll test you right now. <laughs> Offering time, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. You're much more holy than me. But we, you know what I found? You can't outgive God. Amen. And God showed up and started working the miracles, and I'm so grateful. Aren't you? Let, let, as I finish, you know, I want to really encourage you with a practical tip. How much margin should you have? Well, I recommend you start with one month's worth of expenses. Whatever a month is for you. It allows you to have a monthly budget. It allows you to cover most unplanned emergencies. And then ultimately, 
I encourage you to build it to a minimum of three months worth of expenses just in savings in that mattress, in that hole in the ground, in that mason jar seven steps from the oak tree. Just don't tell anybody which oak tree, right? It's margin there so you can stay focused on the mission. But one of the things I found is once you get margin, have you noticed you have to fight to keep it? Why? Because we have an enemy and his name is Satan and he wants to keep you back to zero. Because if he can keep you at zero and keep you broke, he can keep you self-focused, self-centered, and not generous. He knows margin allows you to start to dream and to pursue what God has called you to do. And so I encourage you with three things to protect margin. The first thing is diligence. We've seen, seen it in Proverbs 21.5, and we're going to stick with this verse here for these first two here. Watch this. It says, good planning and hard work. That's diligence. That leads to pro- prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. What I found in my life is I have to relentlessly, every month, without fail, prepare a budget again. I've got to give George Washington a name. I've got to give Abe Lincoln a name. I've got to give Alexander Hamilton a name. I've got to give Andrew Jackson a name. And I definitely got to give Ben Franklin a name. I need him to stick around a bit. Every month, without fail. I stand here today saying for 207 consecutive months, my wife and I have prepared a budget. Every single month, without fail. Has it been easy? Absolutely not. Have we had challenges? You bet. But you know what God has been? Faithful every step of the way. I believe that diligence. The second thing is budgeting. It's diligence with budgeting, right? Proverbs 21.5, the first two words is what? Good planning, that's budgeting, coupled with diligence. Let me ask you a question. Is being diligent with your finances sticking with the plan for three minutes, seven weeks? Let me ask you a question. Does 207 months start to look like diligence? It's a start, isn't it? And I found this is true with your time. This doesn't just apply to money. This applies with your relationships. Whatever you are diligent with, you will find the Lord showing up and blessing and honoring that. The third and final thing I want to share with you is self-control. This is a gift from God, self-control. It's hard to have self-control, especially at Shields yesterday. I've never been in Shields. And your pastor introduced this terrible thing into my life. I've never seen anything like it. I've been to Bass Pro, I've been to Cabela's. I mean, this place sold outdoor gear with Legos. What in the world? I didn't know Legos is an outdoor thing, but it apparently is. I love it. But I had self-control. I walked out of there. I didn't buy anything yesterday. It's unbelievable. I was the only one who walked out without buying anything, I think. But Galatians 5, 22 through 23. Hey, let me ask you a question. Have you prepared a budget before and then didn't follow it? You didn't decide to decide. That's proof. I prepared budgets before and didn't follow them. You gotta have self-control and that's a gift of God. You cannot do it by yourself. Look at it. Every Christ follower, when you surrender your life to him, his, his spirit comes within you and you get these fruits. It says in verse 22, chapter five of Galatians, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. We all get it. Love, that's good, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Do you see the last one? Self-control. My prayer for each of you today, if you need margin, if you've struggled to build margin or if you're struggling to keep it, is to pray to the Lord to activate this thing called self-control. We need the Lord's help, especially us spenders. Hey, let me ask you a question practically. Do you need to go home and shut off Amazon Prime? I know I just went there, but come on. If the smile box is showing up 31 times a day and you have to go to recycle, otherwise your whole house is cardboard, come on. Hey, and look, I know. At my house, the smile box shows up a lot. It has enabled impulsiveness, has it not? One swipe, buy it now. And that's awesome. It is great. But is it in the plan? If it's not, hey, look, what, do you, what gates, what fences, what do you need the Lord to do in your life so that you can exhibit self-control? Because I'll tell you, the back end is worth it. I'll finish by sharing my testimony, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. When you've passed the test, there's a testimony. We continued to have this budget 207 months in a row. We got debt-free in 14 months, paid off our house in 10 years in one month, got to go live out our dream job with a 50% pay cut, had no idea what was on the other side of that dream. But I saw this crazy stuff happening back in 2008 and nine, the financial crisis happened. And I felt God compelling me to write down my story in a book. And I pitched it to several book publishers and they all were in unanimous agreement that the answer would be no to me. And I was like, okay, but I feel like God has called me to write this. And so I kept every one of their letters and realized no stands for next opportunity. And so I started a publishing company. Did you know you could do that? I just Googled it. How do you start a publishing company? And there I was. And I self-published the book in 2008, January, January 20th. I released a book called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. Was there a better time to release a personal finance book teaching God's stewardship principles? That's God's timing, not mine. That's God's story, not mine. And when God does it, you can't help but testify about what he's done. And God has sold more than $2 million of that book and it started me on a journey that allowed us to grow ourselves to 21 team members that get to travel all over this earth teaching God's stewardship principles. That we've been able to venture into real estate and all these other dreams, never dreamed God would do it. What would happen if I had not decided to decide? What would happen if me and my bride had not one day asked God to activate self-control in our life and built margin? Hey, listen, what is the God-sized dream that only you can do if you made that decision today to say, I'm gonna have margin. I'm gonna always put you first. I'm gonna ask you, Lord, to activate self-control. And when he does it, whatever it is, be sure to give all the glory, all the credit and the honor to him, amen? This afternoon at four o'clock, I'm gonna teach a financial learning experience and I'm gonna teach the practical tools to help the spiritual principles become real. I'm gonna show you how I do a budget every single month, how to get debt free, how to save money, how to plan for retirement. I'm even gonna talk about investing strategies in crazy pandemic times that might be helpful to you. All the tools are free, the event is free, there is no sales pitch, and listen, there's childcare, so that's awesome. And so I encourage you to register for it and show up. Bring your friends, bring your family. Let's help some people build margin in their lives so they can be focused on the mission God has for them. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? 
God, I thank you so much for Reed's Church. God, I thank you so much for this miracle in the cornfield that's happened in Blair, Nebraska. God, that reaches to Iowa, that reaches to Nebraska, that reaches even to the ends of this earth. God, what you're doing here is unusual. And I know it's because so many people are already living these principles. God, I pray specifically for those here today. They have a dream that's bigger than what they can imagine. They don't ever see how it could be funded. God, I pray that today you would help them believe enough to take a first step to decide to decide and to really trust you to be able to provide the provision. You are our great provider. And God, I do pray for the couples here who've been fighting about this thing called money, the number one destroyer of relationships. God, I pray today you would help them have a positive, productive conversation that focuses on you, not on past mistakes. Lord, we've all made mistakes and help us to move forward and move towards you. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.